While history has taught me that gasoline equates to power, I now had an experience of something new, something stronger, faster, and cleaner. I realized that just because something has been around for a long, long time doesn't mean it's the best. Profit First, in my opinion, is an electric innovation. It challenges the notion of oversized cash management strategies, exhausted budgeting approaches, and clunky accounting principles. It introduces a radically simple system that accelerates profit with undeniable power, safety, and speed. While Arjun was away, Team Arjun came to play. All the cat's out of the bag now, folks, but we're still here bringing you our favorite and most importantly, actionable insights to Arjun's newest book, Profit First for Lawyers. We're going to help you accelerate your law firm's growth so that you can experience more profit in every aspect of your life. We're also going to be providing some behind-the-scenes footage at what it's really like to work with Arjun Robbins. So, put your BS aside for the next few minutes and put yourself, your family, your firm, and your profit first. Welcome back to another episode of the Profit First for Lawyers podcast. We are two episodes from the end of the season here, folks, and today we have an amazing guest. Today we are talking to the author of Profit First and the co-founder of Profit First Professionals, Mike Michalowicz. I am so excited to show you this particular interview because Mike is a dynamic speaker. He really knows his stuff and he is bringing some really actionable insights to this episode. Before we get started on that, let's take it back to the beginning and give some insights into how Mike knows Arjun and kind of what, what started this whole thing. We're going to play a clip from Mike. This is the foreword to Profit First for Lawyers, where Mike talks about an experience he had with Arjun and ludicrous speed. Let's roll that clip. The highly polished mirror-like finish meant one thing to me. It was brand new. This was the first time I set my eyes on the fabled Tesla S1 sedan. The color was fire engine red, nonetheless. Tesla had been manufacturing it for years, but now is seeing it in the flesh, so to speak. If you are not familiar with this car's capabilities, it is faster than every other production car in the world, bar none. It leaves Ferraris, Porsches, and Corvettes in the dust. To add insult to injury, it does it with the unignorable sound of silence. No oversized gasoline engine, no guttural exhaust notes, no clunky gear shifting, just constant, uncontestable electric power. Hop in, Arjun told me excitedly. The interior was as polished and pristine as the body's paint. I sunk into the passenger seat and latched the seatbelt. I tugged it twice to ensure it was properly secure. <laughs> okay, not twice, more like four times. I hear these things are pretty fast, I side-mouthed to Arjun, with my eyes locked on the straightaway in front of us. Yes, it's powerful, it's fun, and it's safe, he responded. It lets me do things I couldn't do before in a car. This car has changed the way that I drive. Then he said, buckle up, buttercup. Here we go. It was somewhere between the phrases, buckle up, buttercup, and here we go, that he had mashed the pedal. I was instantly pinned against the seat. The only sound was a whir, yet the powerful G-force was instant and persistent, only something I can compare to an extreme roller coaster. I glanced down at the speedometer as he finished saying, here we go. By the last word, we had surpassed 60 miles per hour. A blink later, we were at 100 miles per hour. Undeniable power, available instantly. 
Arjan took his foot off the accelerator and the car came to a spirited stop. My seatbelt remained secure, but my heart was now racing. Arjan turned to me, smiled and said, your turn. In those few minutes behind the wheel, grinning ear to ear, I gained a whole new understanding of power. While history has taught me that gasoline equates to power, I now had an experience of something new, something stronger, faster, and cleaner. I realized that just because something has been around for a long, long time doesn't mean it's the best. Profit First, in my opinion, is an electric innovation. It challenges the notion of oversized cash management strategies, exhausted budgeting approaches, and clunky accounting principles. It introduces a radically simple system that accelerates profit with undeniable power, safety, and speed. And Arjun Robbins is the perfect person to take you and your law firm for this ride of a lifetime. Arjun is undeniably successful. He comes from financial struggle, scrounging to pay groceries and facing foreclosure, to American dream status. Today, he's the founder of a $30 million business that's been named by Inc. Magazine as one of the fastest growing privately held companies in the country every year in a row since 2016, and which employs more than 150 amazing people. Arjun has personally coached, counseled, advised, and kicked the butts of many thousands of law firm owners. As a result, he is the one common denominator behind more rags to riches, multi-million dollar law firms than anyone else on the planet. That is not hyperbole. That is fact. A lawyer himself, he is an active member of the Florida Bar and a certified profit-first professional. Amongst Arjun's portfolio of companies serving entrepreneurial small law firm owners is a bookkeeping company called Small Law Firm Bookkeeping That Does Not Suck. Yes, that's really the name. As of this writing, small law firm bookkeeping that does not suck is the largest and fastest growing bookkeeping business in the country dedicated exclusively to the unique challenges faced by fast-growing small law firms. And in his other business, How to Manage a Small Law Firm, Arjun's team of small law firm management professionals helps manage nearly 1,000 of the fastest-growing and most profitable law firms I thought I'd ever meet. In other words, Arjun knows the business of law firms, and he knows how to make them permanently profitable. So you can leverage the lessons, strategies, and practical tactics he's about to share with you in the book, Big Time. But why reveal all he knows right in this book? Just like Arjun's Tesla has forever changed his approach to driving, and my appreciation of power, profit-first principles have changed the way he manages his business. And I've known Arjun long enough to know that he believes in paying it forward exactly what Arjun is doing for you in Profit First for Lawyers. This book is your steering wheel to permanent profitability. So set the dial to ludicrous speed, grab the wheel, and hover your foot above the accelerator. Are you nervous or even a bit scared? Don't worry. Arjun is riding shotgun with you. Buckle up, buttercup. Here we go. Mash it down. Buckle up, buttercup. Here we go. All right, folks, getting on Mike's calendar was not easy. So here together is an action-packed, content-packed, actionable, insight-packed interview from beginning to end. Turn your speakers way up. You are not going to want to miss this one. Here we go. Okay, so welcome to the show, Mike. I'm so happy to have you today. Carly, it's a joy to be with you. Thanks for having me. 
I am honestly flabbergasted <laughs> that, that you agreed to do this today. I know we have you for a strict time limit, um, and I'm excited to just jump in. Let's get to some actionable insights. My very first question for you, of course, is going to be probably the easiest one. So Mike, for those of you who don't know, is the author of the original Profit First and the co-founder of Profit First Professionals. Mike, do you want to give a little bit of insight into your background, into your story? What impelled you to start Profit First to create this? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I've been a small business owner my entire adult life ever since college. And I've gone through the, you know, the trials and tribulations, Carly, the, of the high highs and the really deep lows. But my darkest moment was after building and selling some businesses, I thought I had it figured out. I didn't. I started a third business. I put everything I had into it and uh, it collapsed. I collapsed. And I remember coming home to my family saying that we're done. I, I had to sell the house. It was the last asset we had. And so ashamed because I, I define myself as the breadwinner for the family. And the one job I gave myself, I couldn't, didn't do. My daughter, uh, she was nine years old at the time, liked to go hor to horseback riding lessons. And I, I literally did not have enough money. We were broke to send her to horseback riding lessons. So I remember saying to her, I'm sorry, you just can't do anymore. And she ran out of the room, um, which I also it was painful, but I also understood that in our darkest moments, we kind of want to run away. So I, I got it, but I scared her so much that she couldn't even be near me. Well, she wasn't running out of the room. She was running to her piggy bank, to her room to get her piggy bank to come back to me with it. And she said, she goes, daddy, since you can't provide for the family anymore, I'll start doing it. And that was the wake up call of the century um, that I didn't know really what entrepreneurship was. I had some lucky moments for sure, but didn't understand the discipline of it. Um, that became the seed for change. Now, just put a little bow tie on this. It wasn't like the next morning I woke up and said, oh, I've got this figured out. I went into depression. I started drinking um, to, to use it as medication. But during that period, too, I kept on reflecting, like, why don't I understand entrepreneurship? One of the things I didn't know was profitability. There's a difference between making money and taking money. And I didn't understand the difference. I thought if you just keep on making more, you'll be successful. But no, there has to be this balance. Um, I then read a study that 83% of small businesses, there's 350 million globally, 83% are surviving check by check. They know how to make, but they don't know how to take. So that's when I started to study what makes a business profitable. And I think, I, so I know now, for me at least, I found it. And what it is, it's the pay yourself first principle. We're, we're told this in our personal finances, is that if you want to save for the future, every time you take your check, before you get the net check, take a percentage and put in your savings account or your 401k or some kind of retirement plan. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a solution for business. Every time income comes in first, take your profit, hide it from the business. And what's left over is left to operate the business. And it's transformed me. And, and now I'm happy to say we have over 800,000 companies that have deployed profit first and, and growing by the day. That's incredible. And Gal, that, that story about your daughter in the piggy bank always gets me in the feels. <laughs> I, um, I've been re-listening to Profit First, the oh, audiobook, which by the way, is so fantastic. Like uh, this book for everybody listening, if you haven't listened to the audiobook, do it because it is so entertaining. <laughs> thank you. It is, it is the furthest thing from dry. But I, I cried <laughs> the first time that you told that story. <clears throat> and I found myself again getting misty. It's such a touching story, and and it it resonated with me a lot too because my parents were business owners, mm. um, and um, I remember when I was really little, 
and I really had no concept actually at the time. They they hid from us that mm-hmm. that they were really poor. And instead they would do things like, hey kids, tonight we're going to pretend to be pioneers. And they would pitch a tent in the living room and we'd huddle together around a lantern. And I didn't know at the time that it was because our gas got turned off or because our electricity mm-hmm. got turned off because they couldn't mm-hmm. pay the bills. You know, at the time as a three, four or five year old, when, when the kind of the biggest part of this was happening, I, I really had no concept of they have no choice. Um, they were trying to make it fun, and, and they really did. Like they made it fun. I have great memories of it, but sure. I can't imagine being a parent now myself. How stressful and gut wrenching that is to feel like you can't provide for your children. Yeah, it sounds like you have phenomenal parents that they are able to navigate that and and protect their children. With business ownership, there's these peaks and valleys. The, the flip side is there's these high moments where we're like, oh, we're really nailing it. And I often thought, and I see this in other entrepreneurs too, is once you have that good day, you think this is the new standard and our expectations then go with that standard. So what happens for myself and many entrepreneurs is new level of income comes in, a new level level of lifestyle comes in, whatever that increment is. But the second the business drops, now we have to rewind our lifestyle and we're, we can't. And then these problems happen. I, I can't pay gas. And we start cutting these corners and, and all these challenges happen. The problem over time of these peaks and valleys is it starts undermining the confidence of the entrepreneur. It becomes a, a depressed life because the, the question keeps on being, when's the next shoe going to drop? When, you know, when is the next problem going to present itself? And uh, it becomes a very fearful life. What I found is um, even in the early stages of someone implementing profit first, even if they're just reserving a few dollars at the end of this first implementation, the first quarter, and they have a few dollars left over, there is an instant change in their perception. Many entrepreneurs say, well, my God, for the first time in my life, I have some money for myself. I know it's a few dollars, but I got something. And then the belief starts coming back. So Profit First is far from a get-rich-quick scheme. Uh, I don't believe those even really exist. What it is, is a get-fiscally-healthy-quick scheme. It starts showing you the discipline, and quarter after quarter, things start improving. My favorite little story that comes out of Profit First is the emails I get, I get emails literally every hour, multiple an hour from readers throughout the world who are doing profit first. But my favorite, because this is so unexpected, I thought people would email me the most when it was time for their quarterly profit distribution, when they're taking profit for themselves. But that is not the most frequent email I get. It's actually when tax time comes. When tax time comes, I can't tell you how many people email me and say, oh my gosh, for the first time ever, my business has reserved my taxes because that's part of the profit first system. I don't have to worry about my taxes. You know, the biggest bill associated with operating a business is the tax bill. And it's the one we are least prepared for. So people are excited about that. That's like uh, the, the gas or electric company coming to your parents' house and saying, oh, the bill's been covered for the next year. Thanks. The relief these entrepreneurs feel. It's amazing. I really love that. And actually, it's funny, Mike, because we just did an episode where I had been to one of our live quarterly meetings. I know you've gone to one of those before, too. And I basically waylaid. I attacked people in line. I didn't attack them. I I tackled them. I pulled them out of line. And I said, hey, can I talk to you really quickly about Profit First? And so 
interview after interview after interview. I mean, we had so much content. We had to like pare it down to this last episode where we were able to interview them. And what they were saying far and above was like the peace of mind that you get um, from these numbers, the quality of life, even when you first start out, not only for my profits, but also because it's really helping me allocate my time better, right? I can spend more time with my kids. I can be a little bit more intentional. I'm I'm not as married to the business because I know that the business is profitable. You know, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs points to, and the foundational needs we have is physiological, to breathe air, drink water. The next level of needs is security and safety, which includes financial security. Many people skip that step. Many people say, you know, I'm feeding myself let me now get that luxury car, but they haven't achieved financial security. And now they have this, they're debt laden and, and they're struggling. And you see this in business where we say, well, uh, let me buy that equipment or get the nice office. Um, and, and we justify by saying this will impress people when they come to my office, they'll see how successful I am, but they skip that financial security. So there's this constant murmur or, or this little kind of vibration that's going on in us of, of depression and anxiety. And, uh, if we let that sustain, it's really going to harm how we manage our business and, and our lives. I, I just returned from Australia literally a few days ago, and I was doing some presentations on Profit First, and I was at this one event. At the end, they had a, like a Q&A type thing. This guy comes, stands up, and he says, I just want you to know, Profit First has saved my marriage. And I, I was like, what? He goes, the business was struggling so much that we were fighting over paying the gas bill and things like this. And without that sense of, of security, it, it compromises relationships. There's that constant anxiety there. And uh, once this fellow had implemented, and I think it was a husband and wife and they were business partners too, once they'd implemented Profit First, the next morning there was clear understanding of the path forward. The day after the first dollar was saved, and after that they, they started to modify the business to run within the true available operating expenses, sustain profit. And according to him, he said that you know the marriage improved. They could have conversations that were much more high level than the survival, you know, paying the gas bill type of conversations. Oh, yeah. You know, one of my favorite interviews from pulling somebody aside, he actually said the same thing. He and his wife both did the interview together. And um, this is Ron Pollock. For anybody who doesn't know, I'll link that particular episode in the show notes here. But uh, he was talking about, you know, it saved the marriage. And what I thought was really fun, too, he said he was listening to the audiobook in his car and that the pieces just clicked for him. And he pulled over off the side of the road and called his bank right then and there and set up the accounts. And he didn't wait. And when I was listening through to the audiobook, and I was like, oh, you did kind of, you were like, I don't care what you're doing. Do it right now. I think my favorite quote in the entire book, let me see if I can get it uh, perfect here, right? But it was, uh, perfection is the killer of all dreams. Just Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. What's funny I found, and I struggled with this myself, is once I had the system kind of documented, was to keep digging down to understand a little bit more and a little bit better and never taking action. And I realized months and months were going by and things weren't improving. I had a concept. And I was like, just get started. The interesting thing about the bank accounts, and this is, I would argue, the most critical thing to do is profit first must be done at the bank that you use. Some people say to me, oh, I can just track these different accounts on a spreadsheet or maybe their accounting system. But the reality is we already do that. If you have an accounting system, it is tracking your profit, so to speak, and it's tracking all these other things. The question is, how often do you go review that and make decisions based upon it? And the reality for most small business owners, 
I define the small business owner the same way the SBA does, a company under $25 million in annual revenue. So that's bigger than my company. That's, that's a lot of, you know, that's a lot of small business out there. And um, most small businesses don't look at their accounting system. What we do do is we log into our bank account. I call it bank balance accounting. We log in. If we see that there's cash there, we'll say, oh, I have money to spend. If there's no cash there, panic ensues. We got to sell right now. So if that's where we're looking, we need to set up a behavioral intercept. What I mean by that is the accounts must be where our behavior naturally brings us. It intercepts what we're doing. And now we see money allocated to different purposes before we spend a dime. The tip I have here, I was able to transform my experience around exercise using a behavioral intercept. What I did was years and years ago, this is over a decade ago, I said, I got to work out regularly. It's, it's so important for my health. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to commit to working out in the mornings. I'd wake up, I'd go to the bathroom, make a cup of coffee, read through the news and the day would get away from me and I'd miss another workout. But in that pattern, I noticed I always did the same things, wake up, bathroom, coffee. So I took my sneakers and put them on the toilet seat. The only way I could use the toilet was by grabbing my sneakers. Then once I had a momentum would kick in, that was my reminder. I put them on my feet. I walk over to the gym, get the exercise in. And I've been committed to it and, and re religious about it, if you will, for the last 10, 15 years now because of that intercept. We have to do the same thing with our finances. That is such a, a really kind of interesting and amazing, I think, hack. Hacking your brain, that's what it reminds me yeah. of, right? Is yeah. how can I pattern disrupt to uh, use my brain the way my brain wants to be used? Yes. Don't change yourself. Don't change yourself. Channel yourself. That's the key here. Ooh. Don't change yourself. Channel yourself. That's your mic drop moment, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it. So what is your, so that's, that's your tip, right? You got to have a pattern disrupt. So yeah. You have had tens of thousands of people who have come to you who are now using this system really profitably, and it's kind of transforming a lot of lives. I know everybody that I spoke to who was following Profit First Accounting Principles had told me this transformed the way that I run my business, it transformed my life, it transformed the quality of my life. And so you're kind of this big catalyst for change. You've, you've created this movement. What is your biggest three tips for when somebody is first looking into this, when they're first getting started or thinking about getting started? Ah, the, the first tip, and this is probably the most important, start slow and let it grow. And what I mean by this is the full profit first implementation, you have multiple accounts at your bank. You may even have a secondary bank to reserve and hide money. That's amazing stuff and very important. But to do all that right away can overwhelm you. I consider it like running a marathon. If you want to run a marathon and you've never run a marathon, your first day of practice shouldn't be running a marathon. It should be, you know, learning to stretch or the proper running form. We have to build our way to it. So with Profit First, the first thing we do is set up one account. If you do nothing else, just have one account in your bank, call it profit, allocate only 1% of your income when it comes in into profit, and you'll start getting the habit of this. Over time, that 1% will become two or three and you'll grow it and you'll do the full deployment. So step one or tip one, start slow and let it grow. Tip two, I already said it, but it's so important. I'm going to drive this point home again, is it has to be where you naturally go, which is your bank. If you do this in a spreadsheet or uh, you have it in some kind of QuickBooks system or you have someone else to do it for you in the beginning, you're not going to learn the habits. So initially, it's got to be, has to always be at your bank 
you even manage it or at least observe it initially. Then I'd hire a profit first. I know uh, your company even has a, a team of bookkeepers, professional bookkeepers to help people with this process. Then bring in a professional to support you to make sure you stick with it. But make sure you're you're feeling it emotionally. I guess, and the, the third and final tip is to look at what the most successful businesses in your industry have ever done, what I call the fiscally elite, and realize that they simply set a high standard for themselves, but that can be the standard. I think what most businesses do, they say, well, the industry norm is, and they, they pick a, whatever that number is, and they say, you know, I'll get to the norm. Th- that's like telling your kid, you know, I hope you do the average C in school. No, I hope you say to your child, I, I want you to be the best of yourself. You know, do what you love to do and, and be an ace at it. Well, hopefully in the work you're doing, you do what you feel called to do or you're passionate about. You need to be an ace fiscally at this. So look at what the best do and do that plus some. Now, that doesn't start on day one. That's the marathon. We're going to build there. But set your targets high and you may surprise yourself and actually hit those. Oh, I love that. I I think the tip number three kind of boils down to one of our John's favorite things, which is fighting for your own full potential, you know, fight for yourself, right? You get this one beautiful, glorious life. Don't you want to live it to the best of your possible abilities? Yeah, that's exactly right. And when it comes to your financial achievements, you can pick the standard you want to achieve. Um, the, The funny thing is it's easier to be financially viable and healthy than it is to be in the standard. Because when you're doing the standard numbers, you often have to p- provide the standard services. You have to be the generalist. But once you start hitting the, f- hitting the fiscally elite numbers, you need to be an elite provider, which usually means some form of specialization capability no one else has. Because when you have a capability that no one else has, everyone that needs that will seek you out and pay a premium for that. I compare uh, a generalist doctor to a cardiovascular surgeon. If someone has a special need that's life-saving or life-altering, they're going to skip over the GP, they're going to go to the specialist, and they're pretty price agnostic. So when you set these higher expectations for yourself fiscally, you're going to also require of yourself to be the best at what you do for a special community. Ooh, I like that. Turn yourself into the specialized... How would we put that, right? Provider, uh, niche specialist. Yeah, you're yeah. a niche specialist. You want to be the person that people go to. Okay, so if I was going to s- distill these three things down, we're going to say start slow, right? Yeah. Slow and steady wins the race. Yes. Uh, bank where you're at, right? Yeah. Don't change your habits. Try to bring these habits into what you're currently doing. And number three, fight for your full potential or dream big or be the best a version of you that you can as far as don't be afraid to to reach. Is that right? You nailed it. (laughs) I love it. Okay. So then let me ask you, Mike, while we have a little bit of time here. Now, we've had a lot of really the only pushback that we ever get when we recommend Profit First or when we tell our members, hey, as lawyers, especially, you should be uh, practicing Profit First accounting principles. And one of the biggest pieces of pushback that we get is, how can I take my profit out if my and, unless my business is profitable, right? Right now I'm in a cash crunch. How do I take profit out? What is your answer to that, Mike? What would you tell those people? Yeah. So the only way to be profitable is to start making sure you are profitable. So many people say to me, why well, I have debt. I first have to eradicate my debt before I'm profitable. Do you know the only way to get out of debt is to be profitable? Because what debt is, is expenses you've incurred in the past that you couldn't afford or, or chose not to afford. So you borrowed. 
So now you have a burden of debt. You have to pay other people money. Well, the only way to pay off that debt is to make more money than you're spending, aka to be profitable. And that money can then be used to service debt. So when you start taking profit first, if your business is in a cash crunch or you have debt, as you allocate money toward profit, we are going to use that profit in portion to service and ultimately eradicate the debt. It also builds that habit of always allocating toward profit. So you have to be profitable to get out of a cash crunch. And once you are out of the cash crunch and all your debts are served, now that next distribution of profit goes all to you. Just start now, basically, yeah. right? Yeah, you have to. <laughs> you have to. Yeah. And, 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 you know, another thing I hear from people too, the pushback I get is, well, I want to grow. I got to grow. And uh, I get a little snarky here, but I said, well, what do you want to grow for? And they're like, well, so I can make money. I said, okay, well, if you're going to amplify what's not working already, you're just going to put more burden on yourself. Why don't you become profitable today and grow with it? Now, here's my favorite thing. Like I said, we have over 800,000 implementations of Profit First. We have tons of case studies. Consistently, businesses that take their Profit First grow faster than their contemporaries, which is kind of shocking because we're told there's a myth. It takes money to make money. But the reality is it doesn't. It takes innovation to make money. It takes out-of-the-box thinking to make money. It takes the use of money the right way to make money. So what most businesses do is they do pot shots. They say, oh, I heard you know social media ads are good. I'm just going to run social media ads without understanding it. So what we do is we take our profit first. Now we have less money to spend in our operating expenses. We are forced to be more selective on how we spend that money and more innovative on how we spend the money. So we focus on what works and we amplify it. Whenever it's not working, we avoid it. I'll give you an example because that's how it works technically. But the example that kind of blew my mind, the number one, truly the number one most profitable baseball team in the world is using Profit First. Now, it's not a major league baseball team. It's a minor league team called the Savannah Bananas. And oh, my the, niece loves them. <laughs> okay. So I'll give you a little inside secret. Uh, Jesse Cole and Emily Cole, the founders, when they were starting up, uh, reached out to me. They deployed Profit First. On a percentage basis, they are more profitable than any major league team. They make more per attendee than any other team in the world. Now, how do they do this? They started taking their profit first to force profit. They realized, based on their cash flow, they didn't have enough money, in, for one case, to pay for the uh, electric scoreboard to maintain it and run it. And they said, well, we can't run our scoreboard. How can you run a baseball team? Emily and Jesse said, hold on. This is an opportunity. Profit first opens up these opportunities. They said, well, we can't, so we won't. Maybe we can recruit the audience to show the score by walking the field, kind of like they do in a boxing ring. And that started a, a trend of many things they did. They, they, got the, uh, they wanted to have a cheer team, so they created the Grandma Bananas. These are women over 80 years old. That's your qualification. Teeth optional. <laughs> That's one of their jokes. And they, they, they are the cheer team. And people go crazy over this. Fast forward, um, after implementing Profit First, and listen, they are genius innovators. I'm not saying Profit First is the only reason, but it does force you to innovate. They are the most innovative team in the world. It is a show of shows. Uh, the the They have a sold-out um, audience, I think, seven years in a row, seven seasons in a row. They've sold out every single game. When I mean sold out, actual attendance. No major league team has ever done that. Seven years, and they have the next three years booked out. They're traveling the globe now uh, doing the world tour of the Savannah Bananas. And part of that was triggered by the innovation of constrained uh, operating expenses that Profit First brings about. That is so cool. You know, I didn't actually know that they followed Profit First. I just know that 
everybody wants to go to their games. We've actually been trying to get tickets for a while, oh, but they're so always sold out. Yeah, so you can. Hard. Yeah, and they're scalping. People are scalping tickets. Uh, you know, one ticket I saw on StubHub go for six hundred dollars. It, it retailed for twenty. It's going for six hundred. Um, I've been to their games. They're unbelievable. I actually threw an opening pitch out at one of the games, which was the greatest honor of my life. But in traditional Savannah Bananas uh, folklore, instead of throwing out a baseball with the opening pitch, last minute they swapped out with a roll of toilet paper. I don't <laughs> throw out the opening pitch of toilet paper, and the crowd was laughing at me, and I was laughing along too. They're an amazing team um, and i feature them in profit first uh, of what they've done yeah i i was gonna say yeah before i read profit first i had had no idea that it was even possible for a baseball team to follow profit first accounting principles uh, but of course it makes sense you know we hear that all the time too like uh, oh i couldn't do it because my industry is so you unique know. or so different yeah yeah this fan bananas can do it and can do it and we, we have thousands and thousands, probably tens of thousands of law firms doing it. So there's no excuse not to. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's one of the things that Arjun says frequently, too, is, you know, this is more about behavior than it is about industry, right? You're you're basically hacking into psychology uh, in order to think differently about your business's financials. And it doesn't matter what business or practice area that you are in, it will work across the board. That's exactly right. Uh, is a behavioral management system or a cash behavioral management system. And it's industry agnostic and it's economy agnostic. Like I told you, I just got back from Australia. I I've traveled the globe. There's yet a single economy uh, that I've visited, including Cuba, where, uh, which is a communist country, where profit first does not work. It, it can work everywhere. It's currency agnostic, economy agnostic, and definitely industry agnostic. I love it. Okay, Mike, last question for you. Um, if somebody wanted to reach out, if they want to learn more about this, how do they find you? What resources do you have that we can offer our listeners? Oh, thank you. So the website to go to is mine, which is, well, you can go to MikeMichalowitz.com. No one can spell it. So here's the shortcut. It's Mike Motorbike. It was a nickname from grade school. Uh, the only G-rated nickname I had, honestly. So Mike MikeMotorbike.com. Um, Prop First is there. I've written many business books. I used to write for the Wall Street Journal too. I consider myself a curator of ideas from, from some extraordinary people. I get the best content I can to serve the entrepreneurial community. MikeMotorbike.com. Love it. Thank you so, so much for being on today, Mike. I really appreciate your time. I've gotten a lot out of this episode and I know that our listeners will too. It's been a joy. Thanks for having me. <laughs> okay, guys, if you want to know more about Mike, make sure that you head on over to MikeMotorbike.com and take a look at all of the other options that he has out there. Mike, offline, I'd love to know some of the um, uh, inappropriate <laughs> you got in grade school. <laughs> Very filthy words. You, you wouldn't be surprised, but yeah, I'm sure you can figure some of them out. <laughs> that's amazing. Oh, God. Okay, guys, that's what we've got for you today, and we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Profit First for Lawyers. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, tell a friend. And buy your copy of the book at ProfitFirstForLawyers.com. Your future self will thank you for it. And we will see you next time.